This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new book, Tokyo Vice, an American reporter on the police beat in Japan, our guest today, Jake Adelstein, tells the story of his journey from an inexperienced cub reporter in Japan to a daring investigative journalist with a price on his head. Adelstein was a reporter for the Yomiuri Shinbun, Japan's largest newspaper, from 1993 to 2005, considered one of the foremost experts on organized crime in Japan. He works as a writer and consultant in Japan and the United States. He's also the public relations director for the Polaris Project Japan, which combats human trafficking and the exploitation of women and children in the sex trade. Jake Adelstein, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Very nice to have you. How are you today? You're in Missouri, huh? Um... Actually, I don't usually like to say where I am these days, but I'm, <laughs> okay. I, I'm in the United States. Why is it that you don't like to say where you are? You know, I, I, I think I've pretty much cleared up most of the trouble I had with one very uh, uh, angry uh, Yakuza boss who is now allegedly studying to be a Buddhist priest. But in the process of writing about the other three people who got liver transplants at UCLA, the other three Yakuza, um, I named one of them who was who felt that I had impugned his honor by implying that he also made a deal with the FBI when that was not the case. Uh-huh. And, and fortunately for me, he recently became boss of the Matsubakai, giving him about 2,400 people under him who may share his anger. I'm trying to work out a... a uh, a peace treaty with him in the sense. Ah, Bye. Well, well, very good. My goodness, my goodness. What did you, I mean, when you were writing this book, uh, Tokyo Vice, um, did you, did you have some sense that you were heading into this kind of territory? Did you, what was your sense of your own personal uh, safety when you were writing this? Well, you know, when I started writing this book in like 2006, I I know I had had this one unpleasant encounter with uh, Godo Tanamasa, who is the head of the Godo Gumi, one of uh, which which had about 950 people in its heyday, part of a larger yakuza group called the Yamaguchi Gumi, um, which has 40,000 people. So out of 40,000, he had about a thousand people uh, under him. Um, when I started writing the book, I wasn't, you know, I felt that, uh, you know, if I ever found out the details of Godo's liver transplant in the United States, that I would include that in the book and publish it after he was dead from, you know, his failing liver. Um, I didn't count on the fact that my Jeff, that the original publisher of the book would leak out the contents onto the internet and that he would read it and become very angry. Mm. Um, so, uh, I think the writing, the writing the last part of the book was, was, was fairly tense. I have memories of being trapped in my room, smoking lots of cigarettes, yeah. uh, with the window shuttered. Yeah. Now, how did this whole journey begin for you? How did you end up in Japan? Uh, trace us way back uh, when you when you applied for the job at the uh, at the newspaper there. Well, you know, I fell into that that category of people in the in the, like in the eighties who saw Japan as a place to go study, you know, the martial arts, the roots, and you know, do zazen, which is Zen meditation, and you know, achieve kind of 
you know, warrior philosopher status. I, mm-hmm. I can't say that now without kind of grimacing, but at the time I was very sincere. Um, so as an exchange student, I went over to uh, I went over to Japan and studied at Sophia University, which is a very respected school there. And um, I was only there a few months before I found a room in a Zen temple, and uh, the agreement was that I would behave myself and go to uh, zazen, the, the meditation practices and the sermons every Sunday. Are, are at least twi- at least once a week, maybe twice a week, and in exchange, I was allowed to live there for essentially free. That was a good deal, hmm. and it was total immersion in 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 uh, Japanese society. And and you were you versed in jazz? You did you speak Japanese going over there? I, I had a year of Japanese under my belt. But the problem with Japanese language teaching at the time in the United States was they would teach you this very polite formal Japanese, which no one uses in daily life. Mm-hmm. So you were always in this strange position of being able to communicate what you wanted to do and not understanding what people are saying back to you, because, of course, they're speaking to you in, in, in informal Japanese, which they think is probably easier for you to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're, you're over in Japan. How did you get involved in crime writing? What was the... Uh, uh, what was the first experience with that? Were you just put on a beat where you discovered this uh, was going on? or Oh, you... oh yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, newspapers in Japan, which still hire people uh, and aren't firing them, unlike the United States, um, <laughs> you know, you take a, you take a standardized test, um, like an SAT test, you know, like, and if you get a high enough score, you become a journalist. Uh-huh. Uh, they hire you, you know, employment for life and all those wonderful things. And in my case... Um, they hired me and immediately sent me to the New Jersey of, of Tokyo, which is, which is Saitama. Saitama Prefecture is this, like, sprawling bed town where, you know, people live, but, you know, there's not much, there aren't many jobs, and people mostly commute to Tokyo from there. Mm-hmm. And do you, what, do you remember the first experience you had with uh, organized crime there? Well, Go ahead, yeah, Mike. I just want to back up. When did you know you were going to be a, a, a crime reporter? I mean, did you did you go into and say of all? Did you get an ch- opportunity to pick what you wanted to do? Or did Entertainment, just, sports, or yeah, crime? Yeah, or, or crime. Did you? Uh, how did uh, that no, come? This, this is this, this is interesting. When you when you it, all Japanese newspapers start almost everyone without exception on the crime beat on the police beat. That is considered to be where you learn the a, the ABCs of the job. Uh-huh. Um, you know who did what to whom, where, when, why. Uh, why always being, uh, you know, the, the very last thing you ask about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I didn't really have a choice. They put, you know, I was sent to Saitama. They put me on the police beat. Um, before I even went to Saitama, I asked on my own if I could intern so I could see what the job would be like because I had plenty of time before they, I mean, they hired me, and I had about a year before I was supposed to start the job. So the very first story I ever wrote was about Yakuza shaking down Israelis who were selling trinkets on the streets. Did that that get you into any trouble at all? Did, did you get a taste of what you were uh, going to see in the future after that story? Or yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I, my life wasn't so ha- yeah, Yakuza heavy at the beginning. You know, I mean, I had more delightful stories about you know husband and wives serial killers who bred <laughs> you know pre, pre, you know bred dogs on the side. Um, or kill people on the side. It depends on what you want to see, what their main occupation was. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, well, I guess, I guess um, the Yakuza, they, I mean, we have gangs in America. We have organized crime in America. Uh, 
we have sort of the strata, the tiered uh, criminal element within America. Does Yakuza reach down into the very how, how how far is the reach, and how organized are they in terms of uh, the crime in 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 Japan in, well, uh, in relation even to America? Or is well, it? Uh, you know, I, 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 I should probably explain this, and, and I've, I've I've given this lecture to the FBI before because it always kind of blows people's minds away. The, the Yakuza aren't a secret organization right. in Japan. Right. I mean, they have their offices, uh, which are well known. Actually, if you wanted to find out the 22 top Yakuza offices, go to the National Police Agency of Japan's webpage and look them up. Right. Um, hmm. That's how open they are. Hmm. You know, the, their, their, their offices in Kobe, are the head of the Yamaguchi that's an entire city block. Um, so uh, they open, they operate with impunity out in the open. Um, some of their uh, their business ventures are set up as front companies, meaning that there's you know they look like legitimate companies. Sometimes they're even listed on the stock market. Um, they're incredibly organized. It's like you know like uh, the mafia was in the fifties. Go ahead. I was just going to say, we, we, you know, we, we've all seen The Godfather, and they're sitting around the table, the Brando, the five families, and they're de- trying to d- really basically divide up the city of New York. And they're also talking about going legitimate. And that's what they were always hoping to be able to do eventually, to be legitimate. Now, is that is that sort of a version of what is what's happened in Japan, where uh, the, did the Japanese, as a society, did they recognize that there'll always be crime, there'll always be gambling and prostitution and all the rest of it. So let's make it as sort of proper as we possibly can, even though it's considered illegal. I mean, I don't understand. There's a disconnect. Here. I'm not uh, know, actually, yes. Yeah, what you say is very accurate. What what you know? What many police officers still say. Uh, you usually have to get them kind of drunk to say this because there's still that reporter police you know, uh, police officer divide. Um, you know, the Yakuza are, ne- are unnecessary evil. Would you rather have organized crime or disorganized crime? Yeah. Um, and, and one Japanese police officer said to me, who was very well read, um, that, you know, in Chicago, the lowest crime rates they had on the street crime rates they had was when Al Capone ran the city. And I, I mean, I don't know whether that's true or not, because he was certainly convinced that he'd read that in a book somewhere. But maybe yeah. there's, there is some truth to that. So, so is the, I guess in in the, in the in Japanese society is the crime rate exceedingly low? Even though it's, there's, it, it's exceedingly low. Your chances of being mugged on the streets of Tokyo are about as good as your chances of being, you know, hit by lightning. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, street street crime. You know, the kind that really terrifies people. Where you can't walk the streets at night, or you you don't want to walk through the entertainment district alone. Right. That's very low in Japan. But but then the relationship between Yazuka, yeah, I'm sorry, I just said that wrong. Yakuza and the police, if they're carrying on a gambling operation or a prostitution ring somewhere, did the police ever raid them? Do they ever get in trouble? Is there ever any? Are they ever you know, brought? They, they do token raids. You know, I okay. mean, uh, the, the Japanese adult entertainment laws are very vague. Uh, you know, uh, for example, prostitution, which is usually uh, either run by the yakuza or they're getting a cut of it. Uh, the law says that it is illegal, but the prostitute and the customer cannot be arrested. Uh, unless there's very special circumstances, um, so essentially it's a, it's a, it's against the law, but there is no punishment. Okay. Uh, that means that any enforcement of that law is very capricious. You can bust the pimp or the brothel owner, um, but it's often hard to prove that you know such entities exist. We're speaking with Jake Allistain. The book is Tokyo Vice: An American Reporter on the Police Beat in Japan. Uh, what is the biggest business 
that the Japanese mafia are involved in? Are, are they? In, is you know what's the big money winner for them right construction now? Construction, construction, and real estate always has been. Well, um, now the the, uh, the renter laws in Japan are very strongly on the side of the renter, um, and I think that's a good thing. You know, I mean, Japan needs rent control with such little space. Now, where do they get the financing for this? Do they are they involved in drugs, or they, is it just a matter of they they built well, themselves? They, they, they get the financing from real estate companies and yeah. uh, construction companies. Uh, basically, if you want to, you know, you want to consolidate a huge piece of property in in Tokyo and put up like a housing development or an apartment house, you know, you need to you need to clear out the area of the little mom and pop stores and you know individual household owners, and then the yakuza will do that for you by mm. intimidation and harassment. So you know. Uh, when there's you know 100 million dollars to be made on a on a development project, uh, you know you give the yakuza 10 million and then you still have 90 million. Um, and they make huge ch- chunks of money on real estate real estate development. Um, lately, they've been into uh, you know the stock market too, which for them is like a giant casino. Which is really right up their alley, really, in a lot of ways, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, it's it's the perfect fit when you think yeah, about it. These yeah. guys started as gamblers running little illegal casinos or. Right. You know, rigged card games on the streets of you know Tokyo. You know, 100 years ago, 70 years ago, and you know, and the stock market, you know, is a wonderful little gambling den for them. They've set up their own front companies, their own security brokerages, their own auditing firms. They have everything in place to rubber stamp uh, the deals they're making. Now, now, uh, I have a couple of questions. Uh, one is that. At, at, is the Japanese government, the elected government of Japan, at some point, do, the, do these authorities ever worry uh, about them becoming, the Yakuza becoming so big as to become unmanageable or un, unenforceable in terms of the laws of, of Japan? Do they worry that they're intruding on the actual function of government at some point? Yes, as a matter of fact, and the, the National Police Agency in 2007 did a white paper on, did their annual white paper on crime, and they had a special section on organized crime. The first time they've done that in like decades, it said that yakuza have so infested Japan's financial markets that it threatens the very economic foundations of Japan. Um, recently, the Japanese, the, Jap- the National Police Agency, and another uh, other police agencies uh, d- set up a special headquarters to dismantle the largest faction of the Yamaguchi Gumi. Not the Yamaguchi Gumi itself, which is 40,000, but one particular faction of the Yamaguchi Gumi called the Kodokai. And the reason they did that is because the Kodokai has been doing things like uh, following detectives home, snapping photos of their families, um, getting their getting copies of their license and car registration, um, and intimidating the police force that's supposed to be investigating them. Um, and they've been very brazen about it. You would you would think that that would really outrage people that you've got, you know, organized crime investigating and finding, you know, uh, embarrassing facts on the cops that are supposed to be policing them. Well, what changed about the relationship? Why is it that they're suddenly interested in the police when the police seem to be looking the other way? What has changed? I think that there's a sense that, that um, maybe because of outside, uh, because, you know, because of increasing pressure on Japan to get rid of organized crime, that um, that they need to uh, make sure that when when they are actually banned, that they're able to exist underground and that they can't be stopped. Um, I also think that in some ways, um, the Yamaguchi Gumi is like 
40,000 or 86,000 yakuza in Japan. Uh, if, if they're, they're close to actually having numbers of like 50,000 people. Yeah. Um, in some ways, I feel like I think what's happening at the top level of that organization is like we don't need to cooperate with the police. You know, we, we don't need to be afraid of them. We don't need to count out of them. Let's use our, our advantage while we have a chance, uh, get the dirt and, and, you know, and information on these, on these cops so that when push comes to shove, we can blackmail and extort them into doing what we want or getting off our case. And they're very good about uh, blackmail and extortion. I mean, that's a big moneymaker for these guys. And, uh, collecting, and they collect the information better than the CIA does. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for one of the heads of the, these, uh, the, the, these organizations to say, we're bigger than U.S. Steel, Michael. I mean, it's, it's, it really does sound like it's, uh, it's uh, bigger. I mean, it's right out of the Godfather in a lot of ways, what I'm hearing. I've got, I've got to just let's go back to the micro part of this story. Uh, okay. By the way, we're speaking with Jake Adelstein, and the book is uh, Tokyo Vice, an American reporter on the police beat in Japan. Um, so here you, you, I mean, how long did it take before, when you were in Japan initially to realize that this is to the extent, the reach of Yakuza, and what was it like for you as a reporter to essentially be the gnat on the iron bull here, where you're going in to investigate crime in a structure, in a society that embraces so much of it, and yet at the same time, you're there to really kind of, well, I mean, well, how did you feel in your role in all of this, in this sort of uh, uh, system? Well, you know, I, I, I mean, you, you know, as long you, as you're working for the for the Yomiri, which is this giant paper, it's like the New York Times, it's 10 million copies a day, I felt very protected, you know, I was like, it, it was it was something of interest. Um, and of course, I was fascinated by how the Yakuza had turned uh, about the ability of these guys to run like uh, a chain of loan sharking out of stores, uh, you know, that number over 800, 900, you know, that they could make uh, over a billion dollars in revenue. I mean, that's fascinating stuff. When uh, I was no longer a reporter without my uh, Yomiri business card to hide behind, uh, it became a little frightening. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I just, I'm just, when you're doing your, as you're doing your reporting, as you're coming across this crime, and I'm, I'm, it's not just organized crime, obviously you were covering, as you were talking about the, you know, the, the domestic violence stuff and the, you know, this, the, the human the, trafficking, the human yeah, trafficking the, and all. And, and by the way, I assume that they're very heavily involved in the human trafficking uh, aspect of uh, yes, Japanese. Yes. System. You know what is, which is an unfortunate, an unfortunate side effect of, of of, of many people hounding the Japanese government to put anti-human trafficking laws on the books, um, uh, of which I played some small part. Um, now it's very expensive for them to bring in women, foreign women, so they've started uh, trafficking in teenagers runaways. Yeah. Um, the, the hotlines the Players Project Japan set up for foreign women who were victims of human trafficking are now being... Uh, a, a huge number of the calls are from like, teenage girls who've been duped into or blackmailed are coerced into working as prostitutes uh, for no pay uh, by various organized crime groups. So, so what you're saying is that the, the the age of human trafficking has been driven down because of the uh, yes, being and, forbidden, and, and and the nationality. It's become because because with so much of a hubbub have been made about these foreign women who are being brought in and and forced to work as sex as sex slaves. Huh. I mean, human trafficking victims is a long way. Uh, 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 a way of saying basically sex slaves. Um, yeah, yeah that, that suddenly they, they've decided, all right, well, we'll, we'll capitalize on our own domestic uh, population of young Japanese girls who have no place to go. Um, so that's, 
that's the new victims are, you know, from Japan, not from outside Japan as much. Well, now and now that you're you're not living in Japan, do you have is it difficult to gauge whether or not there is an increasing um, reaction uh, to to this uh, within the the general population? Is it, when you were there, given all the organized uh, crime that was going on, the really I want to say super organized crime when it comes to the Azuka. Uh, do, do, was there ever much of a pushback from the general population, and is there more now that you're, as you just described, you're seeing more human trafficking, younger and younger? Is there is there much reaction to the? Does the population of Japan have have a, have a way of uh, essentially putting some reins if the government itself doesn't want to on these people? Yeah, you know, actually, I I am in Japan about half of the half the month each month. I go back and forth. Okay. Uh, I can never leave Japan. Uh, when I'm in Japan, I have a bodyguard who is an ex yakuza crime boss himself. Um, um, wow, giving him some kind of clout. Yeah, uh, if. If the job market wasn't so tough, I don't think he'd be working for me, but he's a good guy. <laughs> um, you know, a couple things I see that are, that are hopeful. One thing is that I see that, you know, the, the public opinion has decided that child pornography should not be something that people could legally possess. Um, now, now, just and I have a cursory understanding of Japanese culture, but I've seen literature, and they tend in their sort of in their sexually explicit material, they tend to, at least what I've seen. Maybe I'm giving away too much here, but they seem to embrace kind of a younger sort of. Their pornography seems to be what we would find yeah, abhorrent, yeah. and I think yeah, many yeah, a child porn. It, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, the word for rolikon, like from Lolita and Complex, which in Japanese becomes rolikon. Okay. Um, for that type of thing. I don't know why there is an obsession uh, uh, amongst uh, a fair, a large part of the Japanese population. I'm not saying the majority right. of, 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 you know, sexually violating young girls yeah. um, are fine, uh, why that is found to be stimulating. Um, I couldn't tell you. I'm not a cultural anthropologist. I do know that that is a huge part of the entertainment market and that there's a whole in the electronics district there are whole stores that special that are basically you know these kind of games where you you know that are simulated rapes on young girls um and the anime and the anime and the, and the, and the anime and the comic books yeah. um you know it's it's uh it's not the majority of the market and i don't but it's it's significant enough in the share that millions of dollars are at stakes if you ban that kind of stuff uh people lose money when it comes to money Nobody wants to, uh, you know, not eat. Now, does the organized crime there have a? Are they involved in that? Involved in human trafficking and involved in this the promotion of this kind of pornography? Or are oh, they? Oh, 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 of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, when we put it in the simplest terms, right? Um, you know, if you're running child prostitutes, not only can you run them as child prostitutes, you can also take photos of them and um, and you know and Films? make child pornography. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, the problem with you know with child pornography for these people in terms of profit is now that through the internet once you make once somebody buys a DVD they upload it and then everybody gets it for free. Um, so the, the profit model for for child pornography isn't what it used to be for these guys. But what, but you know let's say you have uh, nine girls working for you or ten girls working for you, ten underage girls working as, as your prostitutes and you're not paying them. You're paying only them like I guess enough to live. Are, are you paying for their apartment? You know, if each girl does three customers a night, and it's about three hundred dollars to four hundred dollars a customer, let's say each girl pulls in nine hundred dollars a night. Uh, you know, that's nine thousand dollars a night. I mean, do the math. Uh, even if you give them the weekends off, 
um, in a couple months, in, in less than half a year, you've essentially made a million dollars. I mean, you know, they, the Yakuza get into human trafficking and stuff, not because they're sadistic meanies who like watching women suffer. It's because there's a demand for it, and the profit potential is huge in a short time. Yeah. Well, I just there's one last question, and this may sound a little off off track, and I apologize if it does. But uh, you mentioned earlier in the interview that uh, they've gotten into they got into the stock market and they got into all the sort of the crazy they they they, they understood it because it's basically become a casino now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I always ha- I have this impression that this world economic crisis. It seems to me the wh- the reaction of the companies that were most in jeopardy, the ones who were the ones who risked the most. They were the ones who were the the high stakes gamblers in all of this. Right, and I'm right. wondering how much of the Japanese uh, yakuza got involved. In, if there's any way to track that. And secondly, the reaction of the money people around the world, the the, the, the people who got their money the first. Out of all of this mess, the seems to, seems to be the ones who were the most aggressive and more modeled on the idea of sort of an organized crime outfit. They're the ones who seemed they they seem to have gotten their money, be damned to everybody else and the consequences of it. Does is this make any sense to you in terms of maybe how the Japanese um, yakuza have reacted? Did they get their money out of this mess? Uh, have they... You know, yeah, they're very very good about getting their money out of their mess. <laughs> I'll say I'll say one I'll say one thing. There's certainly um, some things that imply that uh, U.S. financial firms have either worked with the Yakuza or been taken by the Yakuza. Um, Citibank lost their private banking license in Japan in 2004 for uh, having many Yakuza bank accounts. Um, they wow. were punished again this year in June because they also had hundreds of Yakuza bank accounts again. Lehman Brothers Japan, before they went under last year, was had $350 million in um, uh, their money uh, sucked out of them in, what, in an operation involving um, some Yakuza. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in Lehman Brothers Japan, before they went under, it seems like the Yakuza had a better idea than everybody else and pulled out, you know, the $350 million in a very elaborate scam. Well, that just this goes along with my theory. It's a theory I've been trying to develop. I'm trying to get people to to reinforce it, and that is, a lot of what happened it, a year and a half ago has it's related to the idea that there was a lot of money, illegal black money, whatever you want to call it, was circulating around because of all of the all of the uh, uh, underground uh, economy, and it and it was being essentially laundered through the legitimate economy, and we, they were gambling like crazy with it. And, but they were the first in line to get it back. And I, think, yeah, I just yeah. think, I think the whole thing feels like a big, giant mob operation. Everything about this economic crisis feels like a mafia operation to me. But that was just me. Uh, all right. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for confirming. I guess you had to get that off. His I just chest. have to. I, I, I don't miss too many opportunities because you have some involvement and understanding of this, and it just it well, feels. Like... I, I definitely think that part of this, you know, that the part of the economic financial crisis is you had very unscrupulous, immoral people gambling with money uh, for high stakes, yeah. and that when things started to go bad, they always make sure that they get their cut and yeah. then vanish. Well, and they bet both ways too, and so. And that's that's that feels like an organized crime. They had they had a bet whether it went up or down. And they're going to win either way. Well, you know, I, I don't call you know. I've often referred to the Yakuza as Goldman Sachs with guns. That's not a metaphor. That that you know is completely random. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Well, th- yeah. And then, it, exactly. Well, Jake, this is wonderful, and it's a great book. And it, what an experience! What a life you're living! I uh, all the 
yeah. all the safety to you, yeah. and please pre- Absolutely. take all care you can. Uh, the book is Tokyo Vice, at, uh, an American reporter on the police beat in Japan. Jake Adelstein, thank you for joining us here on Weekly Signals. Thank you very much. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals.